0: Hey, I'm Brandon, the online campus pastor here at Big Valley Grace, and thank you for taking a moment to watch this message. It is the teaching portion from one of our live weekend worship gatherings, and we have those every single weekend here online and in person. And I just want to extend an invitation to you to join us. We're just a local church, local body of believers, and we would love if you would join us uh, on a weekend upcoming here sometime soon. Uh, but as we get headed into this message together, a couple things just want to point you to. One is a connect card. If any way that that we can pray for you. If you want to contact us, that connect card form is just a really great way uh, to let us know that you're joining us. Any next steps you want to take, stuff like that is right on there. Also, if you want to bring an offering, a worshipful gift uh, to King Jesus, you can do that right on our Give page, on our website, or via text. So hope you enjoy the unpacking, the unfolding of the Word as we look at it together. Take your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 13. Today is the next to last Part of the series on the book of Mark, we've been knocking out a couple chapters a week. My role is uh, Mark chapter 13 and 14. We're just going to look at Mark 13 here to, uh, today. Next week, Pastor Joel will wrap it up. We'll be in Mark 14, uh, 15 and 16. Encourage you to come if you've missed any of the messages. You can always go online and you can catch it. We have a teaching team. If you're brand new here to Big Valley Grace, I'm not the senior pastor. One of the guys on staff. And uh, we rotate responsibilities, and it's my turn here to open up the Word and and to uh, look at Mark chapter 13, and we're going to have a a good time here in just a moment. Uh, We can't begin to delve very deeply into this chapter. I will be reading the chapter with some personal commentaries as as we work through it here today. But I encourage you to go to the Nook afterwards, and there are some wonderful resources. In fact, we're just about uh, have sold them out. Uh, pastor Gordon has written a book on Revelation, and a commentary. Uh, we sold out all of his stuff last, uh, uh, last hour, but we can order more. In fact, uh, these are one of the last few copies that we have, and we will order more if you need it. Um, David Jeremiah wrote the book, Where Do We Go From Here? Uh, next to me, David Jeremiah is my mom's favorite pastor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she listens to him all the time. Uh, he is a great teacher. Uh, if you haven't gotten connected to his ministries yet, do so. A wonderful writer, wonderful author, well studied in the area of end times, and um, great insights that he has. Uh, then uh, Amir Safarti. I don't know if you know who he is. Uh, he was a major in the uh, Israeli army. Has come to Christ. He is a Messianic Christian. That means he's uh, full blood uh, Jewish. That's his heritage, and yet he recognizes Jesus as his Messiah. And uh, as a savior, and, and it's coming again. And it's good to see the end times from a Jewish perspective. And so I encourage uh, you pick up anything by Amir Sephardi. And again, this is the last copy we have, but Roberta can get you more. And then we are blessed in our church to have a, um, he's younger than I am, so young man, uh, Chris Hansen. And uh, he is a gifted writer, uh, he is a, a, a local boy. I say, boy, he's probably 50 years old, but uh, <coughs> wonderful. He's over in primetime today. He's taught there and uh, a gift. Of, and uh, he doesn't see like you and I see, but God has given him incredible insights into the word and I encourage you. This is a commentary on the book of Revelation, very insightful. And uh, you'll learn some new things as you read his. And, and he has a bunch of copies there for you to, to pick up. You can do that right after uh, the service here today. I encourage you to, to linger around a little bit. Uh, you should have received a study sheet. We're going to walk through this today. Uh, the purpose of the study sheet, if you're new here, uh, is um, one It will help you to uh, follow along as we go through the book of Mark. But there's questions on the back that are designed for you and your family to kind of dig deeper into the Word. And we want you to be more than just hearers of the Word, uh, but also how do we apply it into our life, And that little study sheet will help you to do that. There will be far more scriptures than I can cover here today and they're there for you to do some research. In fact, this passage in Mark chapter 13 is part of what's called the Olivet Discourse. And in Matthew 24 and 25 and Mark chapter 13 and Luke chapter 21 covers the conversation that Jesus had on the Mount of Olives where this takes place. It It is the longest discourse and answer that Jesus gives to a question. So more than the sermon on the mount, he goes into great detail as the disciples ultimately ask him three key questions. When are these things going to happen? What are the signs of the, when will these things what are the signs of your coming and when will all these things be fulfilled? And We'll look at that a little bit later as we walk through our study here today. I want to give you a little background before we read through Mark chapter 13 so you can understand the flavor of this. This really did happen. This is not mythological. This is very real. If you get a chance to go to Israel, and I hope you do, whatever it would cost you to go to the Bahamas or an Alaskan cruise, that money going to Israel will be long remembered far after the seashells that you collect in the Bahamas. Uh, it is a phenomenal lifetime experience. I encourage you to go. Pastor Gordon takes tours over there. Some of the other pastors do. It is well worth every dollar that you spend. It brings the Bible to life. So in this particular instance, we are in the closing days of Jesus' ministry here on earth. This story and this discourse takes place likely on a Wednesday and Mark 13 and Mark 14 go together. Jesus has been in the temple area teaching most of the day on Wednesday. He's on his way out to go up to Bethany where he's gonna have dinner with Simon the leper. That's in uh, Mark chapter 14. He's gonna be anointed there. Judas is gonna be very jealous of the money that is spent. He really thinks he should have it himself. And uh, he has this, Jesus has this incredible discourse of this woman who pours out her love upon her savior knowing that he is soon going to go to the cross. On Thursday is the encounter with the gentleman carrying the big jug of water, the uh, upper room experience, and that night he is going to be taken captive. On Friday, he's going to be crucified. On Sunday, he's going to come back out of the grave and be resurrected to life and seen by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. So this is Wednesday. He enters Jerusalem on a Sunday Monday, he throws out the money changers. Tuesday, he has teaching and being examined by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other scribes and Pharisees that are there. And then on Wednesdays, when this takes place near the end of the day. One of the things you're going to see as we go into chapter 13, and it would be true of 24 as well, is they're going to talk about the temple this building was it, was it was one, and still is, one of the greatest architectural wonders of the world. It is incredible. and it still is there today. Some of the stones that were laid, uh, the foundation stones that were laid by Herod before Jesus were born are still there, still standing, still unmoved. <clears throat> it's phenomenal. There are stones in this building. Think about this. And those of you who are engineers, think about this. We tend to think that those in the past were not as smart as we are today. We don't know squat. There are stones, foundational stones, that's where the whole building was built, that are over 40 feet long, which means they would stretch from that chair right over there all across here So right about where Jacob is, right over here. 45 feet long, 16 to 26 feet wide, that would take up three to four rows, 11 feet tall, about this high to the floor, weighing 530 tons, one stone, one stone. And there's a bunch of those stones that were cut And hauled a mile away and put in its place to form this temple. Now, any of you who have done construction, you know that when you lay things down, that sometimes you have to adjust things and get it in a little bit closer, a little bit tighter. How do you do that on a stone that weighs 530 ton? It's over a hundred thousand pounds. How do you say to the guy on the end of the rock, can you move it over just a little bit? Let alone get it there. And once you get it there, wherever you put it, it stays. And as you look at these stones, they're square. They are perfect in their dimension. They're not rough cut. They are perfectly cut and perfectly fitted and perfectly level. How do you do that? I used to be in construction and I, I used to hang garage doors and I was lucky to ever find some door jams that were ever square and level. <laughs> some of you who have bought some of these new houses, how are, how are, how are things in those homes? <laughs> how many checklists have you had that you've had your contractor fill to make things right? This, it took 18,000 workers to build this temple. 18,000 People, Men working every day, cutting and hauling and placing stones, building this temple that the initial structures took a year and a half to build, but was still under construction 60 years later. And at this point, it has been in existence for over 40 years. Herod wanted to be known as the greatest king that Israel had ever had. He wanted to exceed what Solomon had established. He wanted his temple to be bigger and greater and more talked about than Solomon's temple ever was. This is the third temple that was built. He destroyed the temple after after Babylon, leveled it to make it his temple, 37 acres. It was more than twice as big than Solomon's temple. 37 acres, folks, would stretch from the canal to Pellendale from Tolly Road to where our Good Sam building is. That's about 40 acres. So a temple mount that large that has stones only 45 feet long lining all of Tolly Road up to almost 100 feet tall and taller. And the smaller stones weigh two to five tons. And the structure of the Holy of Holies in the temple courts was coated in gold and silver. And Josephus says that when the morning sun coming up out of the east hit the temple, you could hardly look at it. The light was so blinding. Because the nature of the temple, it was covered in marble and in limestone, polished. And when that sun hit it, it was like looking at a spotlight. And the gold and the silver glistened off of it. And as the disciples are walking out of the east gate across the causeway to the Mount of Olives, they're looking at this thing. And one of the disciples says to Jesus, and we're going to see this in Mark 13, man, isn't this some building? And people would come from all over the world to worship here and offer sacrifices here. And when the disciples hear what Jesus is about to say, they would find it unbelievable. Who would ever destroy this structure? This was one of the greatest wonders of the world. And still today, when you look at these blocks and you see how this thing is built, you would wonder, as I have, how in the world did they do that with the tools that they had then? They had no laser equipment, they had no levels, they had no cranes. How in the world did that happen? It's an architectural wonder. And Jesus is going to say, guys, what you're seeing here, every stone is going to be unturned. This place is going to be leveled. In Luke chapter 19, when Jesus is coming into the temple area on his donkey and everybody is waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, great is our King!" Uh, King Jesus, and as they're coming down this parade, Jesus is crying. It's recorded in Luke chapter 19. He is weeping because as he's coming across the causeway and he's seeing this inglorious temple, he says very accurately, exactly what happens in AD 70 by a general named Titus who surrounds the city and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, ho how I have wanted to gather you under my wings like a like a mother hen gathers her chicks, because I know what's coming. They're going to barricade the city. They're going to throw up walls around it, which they did. And beginning the first part of April in AD 70 to the middle of August, the Romans and and over three legions, that's over 6,000 soldiers, surrounded the city. And nothing went in. And anything that came out was killed. Josephus records there were over 500 crucifixions a day. Every tree was cut down. So when you go there and you go into the Garden of Gethsemane and you see the olive trees, those are not new plantings. The rootstock is over 2,000 years old, but the growth that has come out were the suckers and the other growth that came out after they cut it down to make crucifixes. 500 a day. Over 1 million people were captured within within the interior of Jerusalem. When armies would come, People would run to the city because the walls would give them protection. And we're going to see here when Jesus says, when you see it, you don't run to the city. You run to the hillside. You get out of the city. On that particular day, a million people were in there who had come from all over the world to worship. And then the Romans sealed it down. And over the course of those many months, they starved out those people, killed them, and burned and leveled the city exactly as Jesus predicted in Luke chapter 19. Nobody could imagine that that could ever happen. And what you see today is what is what remains. So that gives you a little bit of a background as we read this. The disciples, again, as you read this, the disciples are anticipating that the coming kingdom of God is gonna happen here really, really soon. They're still thinking, in fact, on Thursday, they're still arguing about who's gonna be the greatest in God's kingdom, who's gonna sit on his right and who's left. They're thinking he's gonna institute the kingdom right away. As you read this, he's trying to tell them, guys, it's not gonna come as quickly as you think. A lot of things must happen before I come back again. And Acts chapter one, verse six, they again raise up the issue just before you, are, before you go, are you going to be coming back right away? And the angels say, he's going to come, but not back right away. And you go into Jerusalem, you've got a job to do, do what he's asked you to do, he will come, but he's not coming as quickly as you think. That's all in the book of Acts. So again, that gives you a background. It's always important, I think, when you look at scripture, let's, let's understand what the background is. It helps us to understand what is being read here today. And again, I want to reiterate, this is not a fanciful story. This is not fictional this is real, a real conversation that happened with Jesus and his disciples. So let's look at Mark chapter 13. We'll start in verse 1. So as Jesus was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, we don't know which disciple it was, but they're leaving the east gate. They're going across a causeway to the Mount of Olives. There's a valley on the east side called the Kidron Valley. There's a little, what we would call a creek. They would call it a river, the Kidron River that separates them, they're going to go across this bridge over to the Mount of Olives and they're going to sit and they're going to look back. When you go there, you can do sit pretty close to where Jesus is at. And what you will see, and if you go to Google and type in uh, the, uh, the Temple Mount, you'll see this beautiful golden dome. that's a um, uh, Islamic structure. There's also a black dome. and uh, the Muslims occupy that territory right there right now uh, with Jewish permission. but it's just as spectacular they're looking across. So one of his disciples, maybe Peter, comes up to him and said, Teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. That's all Jesus says. Can you imagine the silence that comes from his disciples? What would you say after that? So they go across the bridge. They have a little seat. They're looking back now. And Peter and so in verse 3 as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple Peter, James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. These are kind of the top disciples. And they question him privately so the other guys aren't necessarily hearing what's taking place. And they ask him verse 4, "Tell us Jesus, when will these things be?" referencing when will these stones be upturned? They're looking for a date. And as we read this, it should jump out to you that Jesus could give dates. But he doesn't. He wants us to be focused on something much more significant. And we're going to get into that. And so they ask him, when will these things be? He could have said, hey, it's just in a few more years. And then what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? Matthew, there's another question. And it deals with the sign of his coming. But right now, Mark, is, as we've learned, Mark is just boom, 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 boom. It's an abbreviated version of what you find in Matthew and Luke. And Jesus now begins to say to them, and these things are for us today. What he said to his disciples is still for us right here in this room today. The very first thing is very, very important. Underline it in your Bible. I encourage you to do so. And he says, see to it that no one misleads you. See to it that no one deceives you. See to it that no one leads you astray. See to it that you aren't fooled and faked and misleads you, and the implication is misleads you away from the thing that is true. There are going to be a lot of voices, and he's going to enumerate some of them here, that are trying to convince you that these things that we're reading are not true. They're going to con- try to convince you that the things of Christ and following him are not true and worthwhile. They're going to try to convince you that serving self is going to be much more important than serving others and some of those who will have that message will proclaim themselves to be Christians but they deny the power of God look at second timothy chapter 3 don't need to turn there but write it down because there's coming a time when people will gather amongst themselves people who will te- pastors even who will tickle people's ears telling them what to hear giving little pats on the back and they will and the listeners are not wanting sound and clear teaching we need to guard ourselves, and Jesus is saying right out the gate, as you consider these times, see to it that no one tricks you, leads you, and misleads you astray, because many will come, and verse six, will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will mislead many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Look at this. Those things, and I underline this in my Bible, those things— The wars and rumors of wars, as well as the deceivers, are things that must take place. It is not out of God's control. It's a part of His plan, and He's going to, these things must happen before I come. But know that these things are not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation, kingdom will rise up against kingdom, like we're seeing in the Ukraine. All those things have been happening for a long, long time. And there'll be earthquakes and famines, and Matthew mentions pestilence. These things, and look at this, these things are what? They're merely birth pangs. How many of you know from experience what a birth pang is? Notice how there's no men raising their hands. <laughs> Ladies, you know what's going on. When we had our first child, we didn't know if we are going to have a boy or a girl. He was born October 6th. And in late August, when we had our uh, checkup, prenatal checkup, the doctor said to my wife, Nancy, your child can come any day now. (laughs) And those of you who have had that experience of having that first child, that first little hit where things are starting to contract, you think, oh, that's it, that's it. Let's go get the bags. (laughs) And some of you even go to the doctor's office and say, you got a long ways to go, honey. (laughs) And that was our experience every day. Every little birth pang, every little thing, is this it? Is this it? But boy, when it was it, everybody knew, right? <laughs> the water bursts, and we're off to the hospital, and out comes the baby, right? And you ladies, you understand that. And that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, these sayings, don't get upset. I'm not, it's not out of my control. These things are I'm telling you these things ahead of time. So when they happen, don't be frightened. It's all part of his plan, but it's the beginning of the birth pains, not the end, it's the beginning. And for us, it was about five weeks before the baby finally came. Some of you, it might have been longer or shorter. Verse nine, so because these things are true, be on your guard. And you're gonna notice as we go through this that there's a phrase used again, again, again. Whenever that happens, pay attention. He's gonna be on your guard, be alert, be aware, don't fall asleep. Keep your eyes open. That's what he's talking about. For they, referring to religious leaders and government officials, will deliver you to the courts. Exactly what happened after Jesus rose from the dead and was with his disciples. There was major persecution that came around 60 A.D. with Nero. It was not a good time to be a Christian in terms of what happened. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Incredible stories. Because this happened. Uh, they, would be, they were flogged in the synagogues. They had stood before governors. You can find that in Acts 26, 27, and 28 when Paul stood before Felix and Agrippa. Um, stood before governors and kings, but notice this, for my sake, it's purposeful. The Lord had plans for Paul to stand before Agrippa and Felix and to declare the gospel to them. The gospel was going into a place where it's hard to go. And God's even concerned about our government officials and he strategically puts people into positions of power, like Esther, so that they might hear of the grace of God. And so he's saying, "Knows that these things will be for my sake as a testimony to those people. I'm burdened for those people. The ones who are flogging you, I have a burden for. The ones who are going to put you in chains, I have a burden for. So the gospel must be preached to all the nations, all ethnic groups. That's why Todd and Sarah were up here. That's taking place right now. So when they arrest you, these government officials and these religious leaders arrest you and they hand you over, what does he say? Do not what? Worry. Don't worry beforehand about what you are to say. That would be my turn. Oh my goodness, I'm going to stand before Felix. What am I going to say? You don't need an hour to prepare. But say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it's not you who speaks, but it is the Holy Spirit. Praise God. The Holy Spirit who's within you will give you the words to say at just the right moment. Have you ever experienced that? Where you sense that God is speaking through you and using you in that moment? That's what he's talking about right here. Brother, look at look at the persecution that will arise in verse 12. Brother will betray brother to death. Father, his child, children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all because of what? My name. Because you associate with me, you will be persecuted. Even family members will turn against you. Some of you have had that experience. If you're over in the Middle East today, if you're in Iraq, Iran, if in Syria, uh your home will be marked as a Christian home. You will have to pay a higher tax. You may ultimately lose that home. You may lose your life. You may be shot. You may be killed. If you're in North Korea, boy, if you are a Christian, you are soon put to death if they find out that you're standing with Christ because of the name of Christ. But the one who's steadfast, the one who endures to the end, that person will be saved. But look at 14. Things change here. Everything before 14 are birth pangs. These are expected things that as time progresses are going to become worse and more frequent, but it's it's not the end. It's the beginning. But 14 something changes. Look at 14. The word in the New American Standard is but. But when you see the abomination of desolation that's mentioned in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel 11, and Daniel 12 as well as 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 please look that up when you go when you go to your home it gives a great description when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be if you have an ESV, it says standing where he should not be. That's coming out of Second Thessalonians chapter 2. It is the Antichrist who stands at the end of times as a ruler of the world and he stands in the place where he ought not be, the Holy of Holies, and declares himself to be God Almighty and he displays that with power and authority and upon death if you do not worship him. When you see that happen, and hopefully... None of us will see that happen. But he says to the Jewish people, when you see that happen, and then he puts in parentheses, my Bible says, let the reader understand this. So it's the anticipation that you and I would be reading this long after this occasion. Jesus didn't say those words. This is the author who's writing this. When you see that happen, get out of town. You don't run to town, you get out of town. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. The one who goes, who's on the housetop, must not go down or go in to get anything out of the house. And the one who is in the field must not turn back to get his coat. But woe to those who are pregnant! It's hard to travel when you're pregnant, right, ladies? And to those who are nursing babies, hard to take a baby along. That just saw a little one that just was born uh, last week, little Morgan. Hard to travel when you have a nursing baby. It's also hard to travel in the wintertime. Verse 18 says, but pray that it may not happen in the winter. But look at verse 19, and mine is highlighted again. For those days, these days of the abomination of desolation, these days of tribulation will be a time of tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the creation until God created until now and never will. There are some that think that this is all about A.D. 70 and Titus destroying Jerusalem. Folks, there have been a lot worse days since then, but there is a day coming uncomparable to any other day the earth has ever experienced. That's why this is futuristic. There's coming a day of judgment that's coming. And the days before we see Christ is gonna be a difficult, terrible time unlike any. Look else what it says. Because unless the Lord should shorten those days, and he will, no life would have been saved but for the sake of the elect whom he chose. He shortened the days. There are people that are gonna be saved during this period of tribulation. And he's gonna come back for them and ultimately to judge the world, which we're gonna see here in just a little bit. But unless those days are shortened, now we've always have had wars and rumors of wars, but never has there been a time where we could have a, a, um, a worldwide conflict that eliminates human civilization. Wouldn't take much. For if China were to press the red button, Russia to press the red button, North Korea to press a red button, Iraq to press the red button, and the United States to press a red button, Israel to press the red button, then those powers that have the nuclear weapons, there would be no one left. For the millennium. And unless those days are short, uh, the ki- Christ's kingdom is going to come, and he's going to bring into the kingdom those who have survived this tribulation, as if we were to explore this even further. And so verse 21 if anyone says to you, now you know, now he's saying, you know, you hide, and while you're hiding, if anyone says to you, hey, here's Jesus, here's the Christ, or behold, He's there, do not believe him. The reason you don't believe him is because when he comes, everyone's gonna know it's not gonna be in secret. For false Christs and false prophets will arise, will show again, show shines and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But take heed. I'm telling you this in advance, so you'll be aware and so you'll know. That's part of what we're doing here today. But in these days, these days of tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, in verse 25, and the stars will be falling from heaven. So there's gonna be a cosmic uh, catastrophes in the sky, and the powers that are in heavens will be shaken. And look at verse 26. Then they will see the Son of Man coming. The they is everyone in the world. Not just a few people. It'll, worldwide, every tribe, every ethnic group, everyone, great and small, will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. It will not be a secret event. You won't need to have someone come say, hey, did you see Jesus over here? Yeah, yeah everyone's going to see Jesus. And then he's going to send forth his angels and will gather together their, his elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heavens. And if we were to really study this more, and then judgment of the earth comes. Verse 28. Now there's a parable and a story. And the parable and the story is important for us. So now learn the parable from the trig, fig tree. For when its branch has already become tender it puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. And those of us who farm, we understand that. That when those leaves begin to sprout, we know, boy, summer and harvest is about to happen. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that Jesus is very near. He's right at the door. It says, truly, I say to you that this generation that sees these things will not pass away until all these things take place. It's not gonna take a long, long time once this thing really gets going. It's going to happen real fast. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That's a wonderful promise to know that what we have here is solid. It will never be gone. God will fulfill all of his promises. Not a single one will he miss. But 32, but of that day and hour, and this is important to know, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son of Man, but the Father alone knows So if you hear anyone who's given you some dates that says he's going to come by such and such a date or such and such a year, they have no clue. I guess if you guessed enough times, you finally might get one right. But it's not given to us to know. In fact, we'll get here in a little bit that it's going to be like in the days of Noah. It was not, there was nothing about the days of Noah that gave you any sense about what was about to unfold on that last day of Noah when he was in his ark. So 33 says, now take heed. Now look at what he says. Pay attention. Keep on, on the alert. He's going to say this over and over again. wants us to what? Be alert. For you do not know when the appointed time will come. It's not given us to know, but we need to be ready because it's like a man. This is verse 34. Like a man away on a journey who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning. There's no thief or robber that texts you and says, hey, by this tomorrow, I'm going to be stealing your catalytic converter. (laughs) they don't do that. It could happen when you least expect it. I had a friend who left his garage door open, and he was only gone a short while, came back in, and all his motorcycles were gone. I mean, that's how thieves work. They strike just like that. And the coming of the Lord is gonna be a time when you least expect it. So don't waste your time trying to figure it out. Instead, put your emphasis and focus on what he says here. Since you do not know in case he should cut, suddenly come and find you asleep, I don't wanna be asleep. I wanna be ready should he come at any time. And what so I say to you? What I say to you, verse 37, I say to all, be on the alert, be on the alert. So I have a question for you. What is this is not for maybe, maybe there's someone in here today, this is all brand new to them. I would think for most of us or many of us in here, we've heard messages on the, the second coming of Christ, the next coming of Christ. So, what is your attitude about the soon return of Christ? How how do you live? that Peter says there will be times where people will mock and scorn because they'll say, and this is in 2 Peter chapter three, that he, he, you've been saying this for a long, long time. He hasn't come. And Peter says, hey, don't think that his slowness is like your slowness. It's not that he's procrastinating. There is a purpose in his slowness, and we'll get into that in just a moment. But what is your attitude? It, it affects you. This affects how you live. Because if you don't take this very seriously, you're going to live very carelessly. And what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples is don't live carelessly. Don't fall asleep. Don't get drunk. Don't have uh, (coughs) drunken behavior. Dissipation is what the word is. Don't be that. You be ready. Ready? When my wife and I went to Pennsylvania to pastor church, I, I have a farm and a business here, and I left that in capable hands. When I came back, I expected things to be done, not neglected. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He said, I'm the guy who goes away, and I will come back. And when I come back, I don't want to see stuff not done. I want it kept up. I want the lawn mowed. I want it trimmed. I want the barn repaired. I want stuff looking good when I come back. Don't be asleep. Don't be engaged in a big party as though you got lots of time. You never know when I'm going to come, and I want you to live that way. So the disciples asked Jesus three questions. In Mark 13, verse 4, they asked him, when will these things happen? They also said, what will be the sign of your coming? We'd love to have those answers, wouldn't it? Wouldn't you love to have those dates so you know, so you got time to maybe mess around, maybe time not to be serious? Notice he gives no dates. They also ask him, what will be the sign of the end of the age? That's in Matthew 24, 3. He does not answer those questions directly because he wants them to be focused on something else. What is it that he wants them to be focused on? The work of the Father, knowing that he could come at any day. If we knew that we had 10 more years and for sure in 2032, he's gonna come, oh man, you know, I got time for a cruise, I got time for this, I got time for this, and, and, and now I'll probably even be dead by then, I don't need to take things very seriously. No, we need to know, and it's true, folks, whether he comes in the clouds and we hear him blast on the trumpet, there's lots of different ways you can meet Jesus, right? We have family here in our church that woke up one morning and their wife didn't wake up next to them. We had a school teacher that opened his class. And before that hour was up, he was face flat on the floor, gone. I mean, we know those kind of things. We know of accidents. I I won't tell you all the stories. take too long. But we all know those stories. We know that eternity is closer to us than any of us might ever guess or imagine. We need to live with that anticipation that today might be my last. I might see Jesus in the clouds, or he may say, it's your time to come home. And there's only one place where Jesus calls a man a fool. And it's about the rich man who had a great harvest and said, I need to build more barns. And he says, You fool, you are ready to live for tomorrow, but you are not ready to live for eternity. What a foolish man you are. And to any one of us that is not prepared for the ultimate inevitability, you are a fool. If you think you have time, you are a fool. If you think that you have time to take care of business tomorrow, you are a fool. You have no idea your appointed time. We all have one. And we will either meet him in the clouds or we'll meet him through the gate of death. Those are the only two ways. And though either one of those will come to every single one of us here today. So he talks about the birth pangs. He says there's six things that are just the beginning of the birth pangs. There's deception. There are gonna be many who are misleading you. And if you go into podcasts, there are many people, and it grieves my heart, they are attractive, they are good communicators. They even declare themselves to be Christians. But they deny Jesus and they deny his power and the hope of his successful life is internally not in him. That is a deceiver, that is a wolf in sheep clothing, no matter how pretty they may be, No matter how they tickle your ears, discern those who truly present Christ and understand the power and the nature of his work in our life. But there are many deceivers, not just those who declare themselves to be Christ, but who show another way. There's going to be military conflicts, wars, and rumors of wars. We're going to see more and more of them. There's going to be earthquakes and famines and plagues. There will be persecutions that we may face for the glory of God. We may be called to stand before governors and juries. And there may come a time where we, even as a nation, as when I say us, we, because we have been so protected, where we will have to take a strong stand for Christ and given the choice of either declaring him or denying him. And we have an opportunity to declare his grace to those who maybe have not heard. The Fox's Book of Martyrs, boy, read that. Because there were many Roman soldiers who surrendered themselves to Christ as they watched their prisoners before they executed them, said, I want what you have and I will die with you. Those are true stories if we had more time, I'd be glad to share with you some of the ones that I know. But read the, the heritage and the legacies that we have of people who've dared to stand for Jesus. He is worth dying for. There will be persecution. There will be betrayals. Those things are coming. They have come. We see the, it, Others have experienced it. It may be a part of our life. But there is a coming, a great event. It's the abomination of desolation. And when that happens, Jesus says, get out of town. And time doesn't pre- time prevents me from going too deeply as to what that is. But when you read 2 Thessalonians, Daniel 9, 11 and 12, it'll help you understand that, that there is coming a time, it's in the future. It wasn't AD 70. That was small potatoes compared to what's coming. There is a greater event, and Paul lays it out very well in 2 Thessalonians chapter two. So here's the final conclusion. I need to wrap some things up. Know this, that Jesus is returning. He's promised that. He will fulfill all of his promises He is going to come again. He told his disciples just before he went, says, I go to prepare a place for you guys. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I'll receive you unto myself that where I am, there your hearts will be with me too. There, There we'll be together. Because in my father's house are many, many mansions, many places, there's room for every one of you come. There's this constant invitation to come His delay is purposeful. That's what 2 Peter is all about. And Peter, who wrote 2 Peter, is also the one who's dictating to Mark what to write in the book of Mark. And he wants us to know that just because he didn't come yesterday doesn't mean he's not coming today or tomorrow or next year or whenever the appointed time is. And his delay, the reason he's delaying is that he's patiently waiting. He's not negligent like you and I where we just can't get stuff done. He's purposeful in his waiting because he's waiting for that final one to say yes to him. And once that happens, and it could happen today, it could happen in Slovenia. I don't know who that one's going to be, but there will be one more person who will say yes to Jesus. And when that happens, the door is shut. And the illustration in Matthew 24 is that it's going to be like in the days of Noah. For 120 years, Noah preached the grace of God. He invited his friends and his neighbors to join him, not only in the construction, but also to come into the ark. And if any of you have gone to Kentucky and you've seen the replica of the ark, you can put a lot of stuff in that ark. It is huge. Go there. You need to see it. He could have have piled a bunch of people in that ark. But it was just him and his wife and his three boys and their wives were the only ones that went in the ark. And for 120 years, he preached the message like I'm preaching here today. And people heard him and people laughed at him and people mocked him and thought he was a crazy nut of an old man. He's over 500 years old. Lived to be 900. They thought he was nuts. Building a boat to go where? Because they didn't build it near any water. And then they... The animals came, they loaded it up. Once all the animals were in there, he and his family went up the ramp and then God shut the door. And if you see the door on the ark, there's no way Noah lifted that sucker up. And when God shuts that door, no man opens it. That's true, that is true. And then for seven days, nothing happened. And the Bible says in Matthew 24, they laughed, they mocked. They kept doing their parties. people were getting married. Life was going on. It had never rained before. There was no hint on the last day that hell was about to break loose. No hint. It could have been as a bright and beautiful day as today. There was no evidence that all hell was about to break loose. But once it did, it was too late. Door wasn't opening up. The opportunity was gone. And folks, I'm trying to scare the hell out of you. I am. Because I want you to be safe in Jesus. I want you to come to him. If you've been far away, man, get near to him. If you've been on the run, stop running and run towards him. If you've been bound up in sin and it, ha- and it just has you all tied up in chains, you come and, and find Christ and, and let's work on getting set free from those addictions and those things that are holding you back from being the man and woman that God wants you to be. He wants to set you free. He wants to give you life. He wants us to serve him. He wants to reward us. He's looking for the day when we sit at a table that's been prepared for us and we rejoice and we celebrate about being in his presence. He wants us to be eager to hear him say, welcome home. I've got something prepared just for you. You've been a good and faithful servant. He wants every one of us to have that as our drive tomorrow that if I see Jesus, what I hear from him is welcome home. You are a good and faithful servant and I'm glad it's done and you are with me and that will never be separated again. So while we're waiting, stuff is gonna happen. He tells us, don't worry about it. I haven't lost control. Don't be frightened. So, how ought we to be? We should be alert and ready. We should be alert and ready. We should be prepared if this is the day. We shouldn't run from it. We shouldn't be ashamed of it. We shouldn't be frightened by it. We should be eager to run into it. Should He call us home today? We should live as foreigners. 1 Peter 2, verse 11, 12 says, We're like aliens, strangers. This isn't our land. This is our home. We're just visiting here. This is a temporary dwelling place. We are, our home is in heaven with the Lord, where every tear will be wiped away. That's what we're looking forward to. Not this. This is all going to go away. We can't hang on to any of this stuff. There's some of it we, we need just for an existence, but, but boy, this will make our life all about this, it will pass. Let's live a life that counts. Let's be busy doing the Father's business. That's what Mark 13, 34 is about, that we all are part of his kingdom work. There, there's a reason he's put us in our neighborhoods to love our neighbors. There's a reason he's put us in our jobs to love those that are there who need to see Jesus. Some of you, where God has placed you, there are people who have never been to church before. You're touching him where I can't touch him, where Rick, Pastor Rick can't touch him. There's a reason why he has put you there that you might show the grace of God. Let's be busy doing his work. And then let's look forward to his return with great excitement and anticipation. So I'm gonna close here in just a minute. I'm gonna pray in just a moment. There's so much more that we could talk about, right? I mean, this is a deep subject and, it's a, and we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks about it. <clears throat> and you can read and read and read, and I hope you do. And I hope you go to our uh, Gordon Rumbles um, at Big Valley and lo- listen to his messages, great stuff. But don't make it an intellectual pursuit. That's why Jesus is talking the way he's doing. He wants you to be focused on something far more significant. than It's good to know this stuff, but don't make it such that you are worthless to the people that you're working with and the neighbors that you are there. What it should do is drive you to this passage in Second Peter, and I want to close with this verse. It says, you therefore, my beloved, since you know all of these things beforehand, I want you to be on your guard. Look at that. See how Peter uses that word again, be on your guard? So that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and women, and you fall away from your own steadfastness holding on to the truth. But I want you to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. These things should help you to realize this world is not our home. These things should help you to realize that you have a mission today. That you're purposeful in God's kingdom. Your children are part of God's plan. He's working it out. He's trying to reach the world through you and through me. Until he comes. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray. Our altar room is going to be open. Boy, if today is the day, man, make it today. If you're far away from the Lord, and if those of you who are even online, today's a day. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I think in verse 2, it says, today is the day. We have no certainty of tomorrow. If you've been running away from the Lord, let's come running towards him. If we have been bound up, let's pray. Let's come together to encourage one another in the Lord as we see the day draw near. That's what we're here for. And I hope this message has challenged you. I hope it has encouraged you and I hope it has helped you to look ahead to something great that's coming and that's Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege and opportunity to open and teach your word here today. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. and I pray Lord, for each one of us, you would help us to be alert. You'd help each one of us to be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that what we do for you, even when it's a cup of cold water, is not in vain. Did you notice it all? And you are eager to say thank you, eager to show us what it has all meant for your glory and your kingdom work. So Lord, would you empower us through your Holy Spirit to be your people, to be alert, to be on our guard, to be steadfast, serving you until you come. And Lord, would you do it today? If you need to wait another day for a brother or sister, an aunt or uncle, mom or dad to come to Jesus, then the Lord would be tomorrow. Lord, would you you reach those, Lord, who we love that are lost? Would you open their eyes that they might see? Would you break their heart that they might repent and turn and follow you? Lord, that we might be one in Christ together for glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.